This afternoon, we continue our sermon series on the Canons of Dort, and so we confess together Canons of Dort Head 2, Articles 1 through 4. Let's confess together. God is not only the supremely merciful, but also supremely just. His justice regards, as He has revealed Himself in the Word, that the sins we have committed against His infinite majesty be punished with both temporal and eternal punishments of soul as well as body. We cannot escape these punishments unless satisfaction is given to God's justice. Since, however, we ourselves cannot give this satisfaction or deliver ourselves from God's anger, God in His boundless mercy has given us as a guarantee His only begotten Son, who was made to be sin and a curse for us in our place on the cross, in order that he might give satisfaction for us. This death of God's Son is the only and entirely complete sacrifice and satisfaction for sins. It is of infinite value and worth, more than sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world. This death is of such great value and worth for the reason that the person who suffered it as was always to be our Savior, not only a true and perfectly holy man, but also the only begotten Son of God, of the same eternal and infinite essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Another reason is that this death was accompanied by the experience of God's anger and curse, which we by our sins have fully deserved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the atonement and what Christ has gone through for us, Make our hearts grateful for this salvation. Help us to understand our sin and the power of your grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The scripture lesson comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, that is found on page 1006 of your Pew Bibles. Once again, we hear God's word from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, 
You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all, all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and the lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. This afternoon we begin uh, head two of the canons of Dort that treat limited or we could say definite atonement. So just to put this in perspective and context, there are uh, five heads of doctrine. There is uh, what we say uh, unconditional election, followed by limited atonement that we treat right now. Uh, Total depravity and irresistible grace are treated together. And then we finally uh, cover perseverance of the saints. So we are in part two, as it were, of our sermon series on the canons of Dort. It's very important to say also that we understand limited atonement well if we understand total depravity well. For all the other points, we could say, or heads, uh, find their basis in the fact that all people are completely um, and totally depraved. So because of that, we need to be uh, elected by God Christ has to die for our sins. He, we find His grace irresistible. Then He I cannot speak. Preserves us to the end. Perseveres us to the end. So we'll just take these articles in order, one through four, and understand the logic therein. So the first article is on the punishment which God's justice requires. So yes. We confess God is merciful, but He's also just and will punish sins unless His justice can be satisfied. God is merciful. Exodus 34 makes this very clear. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But He is also just. Deuteronomy 32. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Ezra 9.15. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just, for we are left the remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. Finally, Revelation 15.3, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and of the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, 
O Lord God the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. So the canons say once again, His justice requires that our sins committed against His infinite majesty should be punished not only with temporal but with eternal punishments both in body and soul which we cannot escape unless satisfaction be made to the justice of God. Now to many minds, the uh, mercy of God and the justice of God uh, stand in this tension. And what you will often hear people say is that, well, when you talk about God's mercy, or rather His justice and His punishment, it sounds like you're talking about a different God. My God is not like that. My God is merciful and loving. Well, first of all, um, it's clear that what follows from God's justice is punishment and wrath. It's not like a, an attribute you could sort of throw out the door. But secondly, the error the people make is that justice and mercy are in some sort of real tension or contradiction. It's almost, so, you know, God becomes one with a split personality. Or maybe there's another God who's a God of wrath. Well, this is all completely silly and nonsensical. One attribute that we confess that's mentioned in the um, Belgic Confession is that God is simple. doesn't mean he's a simpleton. It means that God is one. He's not composite in the sense that all these different attributes are intention or contradiction. They're not at all. God can be fully just and fully merciful at the same time. No tension in between. What's really at stake here uh, is the majesty of God. We offend His Majesty. First uh, Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established it shall never be moved. Well, because we have more uh, regard for man than for God, um, we forget that God is majestic and holy and that He must punish sins. Not just sins, of course, in the abstract, but God punishes sinners. So, because all people have sinned, this is clear, all people have sinned against God, God's justice requires... As Heidelberg 11 says, that all people should receive everlasting punishment, both of body and soul. So what we confess, our Christians confess, uh, that they are uh, guilty of sin. They are dirty, as it were, and need atonement. So this is an argument for uh, Christ's work on the cross to atone for our sins. So Article uh, 1 ends by saying that satisfaction must be made to the justice of God if we wish to escape the eternal punishment of God. Article 2 begins by stating that we are unable to make that satisfaction to the justice of God in our own persons, which means that we cannot deliver ourselves from the wrath of God. That's impossible. So, you know, there's different moves that, that people make when they realize and squirm in their guilt and their sin. It's often not uh, surprising that people today suffer 
uh, from problems of guilt that's not taken care of. All people have a sense that they are sinful and guilty before God. So there are different moves to take uh, care of that. So some people think, what if we could offer money to God? What if there's something we could do? First uh, Peter answers that question, saying, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Well, what about our work and devotion, Lord? Can't we prove to you uh, by our hands that we are good and deserve your favor? Him says that we sing, <clears throat> Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. No, because of our inability to pay God for our sin, we are guilty. Now, another move people will make that's wrong, of course, is to think that God, in His justice and His wrath, is sort of like a hot-headed judge that wants to shake you and try to get something out of you in return. And actually, in Matthew 18, you read about the story of the un. A forgiving servant who's forgiven much goes out and finds a person who owes him and then he literally shakes the person, kicks him around and demands a payment. And sometimes we impute those sort of uh, uh, ways to God, don't we? We think that uh, God in his anger shakes people up and demands something from them. Well, not, a, not at all. Uh, God is a regal, fair judge. That's what we mean by just He's completely fair, and in fact, he takes things upon himself to take care of your problem of sin. So he's pleased then of his infinite mercy to give his only begotten Son for our surety or guarantee, who has made sin, became a curse for us in our steed, that he might make satisfaction to divine justice on our behalf. So this is why we love mercy so much, right? Is that out of those wells of mercy um, comes forth his pleasure to give his only begotten son for our surety. And a surety is one who assumes responsibilities or debts in the event of a default. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us in the, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So only Christ can make satisfaction to divine justice on our behalf. How? Paul says in first, or rather, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that's how um, God takes care of your problem. We call it double imputation. Uh, Christ dies uh, as a curse. Your sin is imputed to Him. And then His perfect righteousness is imputed to you, received by grace. And in this, we talk about the atonement. That is, Christ stepping into your place as your substitute. And that's how he satisfies God's justice. Again, that is a burden, the canon say, uh, that we, somebody must fulfill. God's justice 
must be uh, satisfied. So that's why we confess that Christ took my place. Christ died for my sins. His work of atonement was for me. Another way we talk about the atonement is that Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we understand that His substitution and His atonement for us is typified and spoken of in Leviticus chapter 16. In that chapter, you hear about the solemn uh, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. So once a year, the Israelites would go through this uh, ceremony. Um, The priests did this on their behalf, actually. And their sins were atoned for. So I think it's important just to note what happened uh, during this whole uh, this high and holy day so we have a better appreciation for what Christ did for you. So all of this begins in the wilderness with the tabernacle. The tabernacle is actually um, a copy also of the temple and the author of Hebrews actually says both of these things are copies of the heavenly place. So there's a very important um, sort of transfer you need to understand in the tabernacle and, the, and in the temple. In, uh, let's say, the temple, there was the outer court outside boundaries of the temple proper. In the temple proper, you had the holy place and then you had the holy of holies. In the holy place, uh, the priests would conduct sacrifices. There was a washing basin, uh, temple furniture, things like that. And Then in the holy of holies, behind a huge curtain, was the Ark of the Covenant, uh, closed on top, which was called the mercy seat. Then you had these two golden cherubim uh, facing each other, overshadowing uh, the mercy seat. So what would happen every day on Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, uh, the high priest, only the high priest, would offer a bull, uh, a sacrifice of bull for himself and his family. He would apply the blood to the mercy seat, uh, showing that uh, his sin and the sins of his family were taken away. Then he would sacrifice a goat, Um, and do the same thing, bring the blood into the Holy of Holies, apply the blood to the mercy seat, uh, showing that God's anger was propitiated or turned away for the people. Then, another goat would be selected, and the sins of the people were imputed to the goat. Then the goat is cast out into the wilderness. This is called the Day of Atonement. happened every single year. Only the high priest would perform these different Uh, ceremonies and actions for himself, his family, and for uh, the nation. Now, it's very clear that the blood of goats and bulls were pointing to the blood of Jesus Christ. And this becomes clear when you look at this uh, yearly process, uh, a comparison and contrast. Uh, The author of Hebrews says that These sacrifices were held each year over and over and over again, but they did not suffice to really take away sins as the blood of Jesus Christ took away sins. So there's, there's, while the Day of Atonement is very powerful in that it it demonstrates the way in which God forgives His people, it was was a very vivid experience. You know, you hear the goats screaming out, the the bulls screaming out in pain, you smell the blood, the burnt flesh, all this kind of stuff. But all of this was to uh, show and demonstrate that the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ was coming in time and space, which would take care of their sins once and for all.
Therefore, the death of the Son of God is the only and the perfect sacrifice and satisfaction for sin. And it is of infinite worth and value, abundantly sufficient to expiate the sins of the whole world. Now, when we confess that, we're not saying that Christ died for every single person in the world. We're saying that his shed blood was sufficient for everyone in the world. And we'll draw out that distinction later on when we, uh, in the next few weeks when we talk about limited atonement. But again, our, our burden here is to show you that the infinite worth and value of Christ's death is clearly seen in that His blood takes away your sins. It's something efficacious. In contrast to the bulls and goats of Israel's time, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was perfect and eternal. The author of Hebrews tells us that there were three specific reasons why Christ's sacrifice was better. First, Christ entered not through and into a man-made tabernacle, but he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle and into the holy place to God's presence. As the author says in chapter 9, verse 24, he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. He first accomplished redemption on the cross and then entered into heaven, where he now acts as our eternal priest. Second, in verse 12 of the same chapter, the author says that he entered the holy place, the holy of holies, once for all. While the high priest had the onerous task of doing this every year, Christ, our high priest, entered only once. And his sacrifice, unlike the earthly sacrifice, was perfect and efficacious for salvation, cleansing the conscience of guilt. Third and finally, the means by which he entered was his own precious blood. This had to happen because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. They could only offer external cleansing. These bulls and goats were sacrificed in the courtyard of the tabernacle and their blood was brought into the the holy place, the holy of holies. Christ was sacrificed in the courtyard of the world, literally outside the city gates. And he entered through heaven into the holy of holies, God's presence through his own blood. He didn't carry another's blood with him. Again, it's interesting to uh, compare and contrast what the high priest had to do. He had to cleanse himself of a sin, his family, and then he could act as high priest for the nation. Well, Christ didn't do that. Uh, His own blood was efficacious for the nation that is God's people. Well, Article uh, 4 summarizes um, how this works because we look at why his death has infinite value. It is really built very much on the fact that Christ has two natures. Uh, Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. Also, the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism makes this a burden as well, uh, saying that Christ had to be true and sinless man. That is, Jesus Christ comes as true Israel, he comes as true Adam, he comes as a real man, real flesh and blood, had a brain, a soul, and he really suffered for your sins. And that's how we talk about the substitutionary uh, aspect of the atonement. Christ stood in your place. You should have died, Christ died in your place as man. And second and finally, 
uh, Christ also is at the same time true God. So it is only the power of uh, the Godhead that he could bear in his manhood the burden of God's eternal wrath of sin. And so we sing about the mystery of the incarnation, that the eternal God, uh, the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became man, and in the person of Jesus Christ, took on your sin perfectly. Well, in conclusion, because you accept the fact that you are depraved and without hope, you confess that only Christ satisfies the justice of God. His death has infinite value and worth to take away all of your sins. Furthermore, His righteousness is imputed to you so that you are justified before God. And so through Christ, God has slammed down His cosmic gavel and has proclaimed that you are righteous. And so it is true, brothers and sisters, that all people struggle with the conviction of sin, that is, Christians. It's bothersome, but Isaiah chapter 1 reminds us that God has taken away your sins and now you are as white as snow. Your sins were like red, crimson, and now they become like wool. And for that, we are thankful. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.